Hey, I'm Alex Bonifer, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your dedicated after-show podcast for the AMC series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. On tonight's episode of Kevin Can Podcast Himself, we're not breaking down an episode. Nope, we're pleased to bring you our exclusive interview with Neil O'Connor himself, Alex Bonifer. Just to note, the interview with Alex does contain some spoilers for season two, all the way through episode three, Ghost. So make sure you're all caught up before listening. I was so excited that we got to talk to Alex. He was someone that we really wanted to talk to in season one, especially given how season one ended, the smash bottle, the attack on Allison, and and just the cliffhanger on it. Really, I think it worked out for the best that we get him now in season two, where Neil is fully straddling both the single cam and the multicam worlds. Without giving too much away, let's talk about just some of the high points of the conversation. For me, I really enjoyed how much that Alex puts into this character of Neil when we were talking about all the little nuances, all the the depth that he has considered for this character. I was really happy with that because a lot of times we will talk to people and they'll say, oh, I don't know. I just read the words on the page. You know, I don't really think about it. I don't really do much of a backstory. The details that Alex goes into, you know, really creating this character, I loved it. I think that that is exactly the type of stuff that our listeners want to hear. It was super interesting because you and I have picked up on some of the idiosyncrasies (laughs) that he has uh, with the character, the way he tugs on the jacket, the way he always is dressed in so many layers. And talking to Alex, he he told us straight out, that is a choice. That's something he worked with the costume designer. You know, that's five layers of, of specific wardrobing that he does in the character all the way down to his shoes and, and down the way to his, his underwear down to his underwear he said that day we're gonna have to have a full line of like boxers for mm-hmm. for for neil when he auditioned and took the role uh stemming from that or the origin of that uh, an interesting part of the interview for me was learning about his time with the groundlings he's still with the groundlings but how it shaped his love of comedy and improv and sketch and writing and how it kind of just transformed him into the guy who plays neil that we get to watch every week He's an extremely thoughtful actor and and human being. I enjoyed just talking with him. He was so complimentary and just a kind person. I feel like he's somebody who I would like to follow now because we know him better as a person. Right. And I think we had a kind of a tacit invite to come watch him out in L.A. I think so, on, too. On a Sunday. He so said I think he'd get us on a list. We're going to have to. Yeah, he said, <laughs> he said he would get on a list. I, I, <laughs> listeners, I can't tell you, I've been on so little lists in my life. I'm very excited at the offer. He gave us a lot more time than we actually were allotted. Big thank you to AMC PR people for arranging it. Big thank you to Alex for granting us the time. He could have just been like, yep, nope, I'm done. I'm going. But he wasn't. So Not at all. So, listeners, here's Alex Bonifer. Joining us tonight on Kevin Kim Podcast himself, Neil O'Connor himself, Alex Bonifer. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm doing truly fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel like maybe this week, Caroline, we should change the name of the podcast to Neil Kim Podcast himself. Yeah, I like, like a, that. Like a special edition. He's uh, taking over the steering wheel for sure this season. 
Alex, normally we like to hop in the Wayback Machine to your audition process, and we definitely want to know about your journey to becoming Neil. But I feel like I need to go even further back with you. Mike Tyson plays into your earliest days, literally earliest <laughs> days. Can you tell us about that story? Yes. Yes, I'd love to. I, I still I can't believe you guys uh, heard about this, know about this. Yeah. So the day was August 4th, 1988, and my mom was uh, having labor contractions and she was rushed to Cedar sinai um, I'm a local boy from Los Angeles. So my dad rushed her to the hospital in the wee hours of the morning. And it was very, very late. I believe it was like two or three in the, in the morning. And there was a skeleton crew, as my dad puts it. Obviously, I was, I was in the womb. So this is all a story being told from my father's perspective. But he, he can't find anybody to help. They drive up you know, to the front. He can't find anybody. He goes in, my wife, or my wife, his wife, my mom, is having contractions. They think that I'm coming. And he is looking for anyone that he can to help out the situation. He just needs someone, right, to, to attend to my mom. And who turns the corner but these two big bodyguards, and then standing behind them is a guy in a tracksuit. And my dad recognizes him immediately as the pound for pound king mike tyson i'm the champ uh, i'm the champ i'm mike tyson i'm the champ that's that's my impression well, my dad runs up sort of in shock not knowing what to do and he just as as a familiar face uh the only familiar face he recognized just so happened to be mike tyson he says mike you got you got to help me my wife she's going into labor i don't know what to do is there can you can you help and he's he's like tells my dad all right it's gonna be all right calm down all right everything's gonna be fine and he sends one of his bodyguards to get a nurse and the nurse comes gets my mom into the wheelchair and my dad is rolling her up and my mom being the Southern belle that she is, she's from Georgia, you know, in labor in contractions, turns the corner, looks up and sees that it's Mike. And it goes from like, ah, ah, to, Hey, how are you? <laughs> and Mike Tyson puts his hand on my mom's uh, stomach and says, he's going to be a fighter. Everything's going to be all right. He's going to be a fighter. I know it. And um, two days later I was born or a day later on the sixth, I was born. So, that's my connection to Mike. I've always had, I've always felt uh, kindred to that man. Um, <laughs> you have like a blessing over you by Mike. That's yes, a big I deal. I was blessed by Mike Tyson. And um, <laughs> I'm, I am a lover, not a fighter, but, uh, you know, still getting that fighter blessing from him was uh, a great way to enter the world. Maybe you're a fighter for love. That counts. I think, hey, there we go. Yes. You can't <laughs> I love that. Now I'm just sitting here wondering what Alex's face tattoo would look like. <laughs> I think it's better have Mike Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just do a, a one for one copy of his tribal. Right. Yeah. Or just do like Tyson's face with his face tattoo on you. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. do trippy inception <laughs> face tattoos. I love it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. OK, so I'm going to push you in that way back machine a little bit. A couple more decades forward. I want to talk to you a little bit about the groundlings. Tell us a little bit about your time there and who you met, and what you were doing and how it sort of led on to your career. I've been doing improv comedy. I can go back a little bit further. I, my intro into this whole thing was I was home one summer from college, my freshman summer, and my dad is actually the one who said, you need to do two things this summer. You need to get a job, a summer job, and you need to take an improv class, which was like, I, I you know, I feel so... And at the time, I was annoyed. Like, what is this stupid? Like, why is he making me do this, like, stupid improv thing? But, you know, obviously, in hindsight, best thing that's ever happened to me, and I never look back. I've been doing improv now for 12, going on 13 years. And 
the Groundlings was always a place through that time that I had, I was, it was sort of an intimidating place because where I was studying at the IO West and the UCB, you could just sort of move up through the levels of the school and there wasn't really, you know, there's quality control, but not like I had heard about at the Groundlings. I mean, the Groundlings, you had to audition just to be able to take their program, which was always sort of an intimidating, daunting feat. And after years, and I had, I had moved to New York to just work and live and kind of find myself and then found myself back in Los Angeles, I finally mustered up the strength and the courage to audition for basic as their their introductory improv level at the Groundlings. And truly, you know, the best decision that I've ever made in my career, because five years later to where I am now, from that day where I decided to audition for the program, being in the main company, being a Groundling is just, I've grown so much. I've gotten so much better at my craft, but also just my love, my confidence level, my comfort performing on stage, finding my comedic voice, you know, all the things that sort of come along with that program where I'll say that the Groundlings gets serious. It truly is in Sunday Company because that's the next, the last step before you're voted on for main company or not. And it's where every six months you get reevaluated and voted on and then you get you have 18 months total to put your stamp on on the program and, and sort of state your case, uh, as it were, to be in the main company. And that's really where I had transitioned professionally. All, up until that point, I was working a nine to five. I was selling furniture for a living <laughs> while I was, you know, I, I looked at it like going to comedy grad school is what I what I right. kind of tell people. And it was in Sunday Company where I was seen, you know, with performing at the Groundling stage comes a lot of exposure from casting directors and agents and managers and things like that. While I was still working a nine to five before I even had a manager or an agent, I was getting contacted via the the school or the box office to go out and audition for things. And I was like, I'm just, I, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. This is all crazy. Um, but it was during the Sunday company run where I booked my first gig as a recurring role on uh, Superstore, which was a show on NBC, as I'm sure you guys know, mm-hmm. that sort of changed, you know, everything for me. I mean, I, just being able to to see myself as a legitimate performer, you know, presence in this this comedy world, it was everything. You know what I mean? And and just through the Groundlings again, I was able to hone all those skills. You know, a lot of which I put to practice on on the show on Kevin. And now being in the main company, having that place as a creative home for years to come, you know, I'm, I'm doing the, the current main company show now. And I, I like to do improv at least uh, two to three nights a week there. And having that place just to, just as like, I look at it, it's like my gym, you know what I mean? It's where I go to stay sharp, you know, you just to stay on top of my game. People don't really appreciate. I think people think here Groundlings or UCB, they think stand-up comedy. And I, I don't think a lot of people really appreciate long-form or short-form situational improv and the kind of art that it is. I, I think I, that's great that you're still doing it because you've got this show. You've you've had this launching pad now. I love I love to hear that you're still there, like, you know, working on it. And that's fantastic. Most of us are, are working, you know, and we, we do it because we love it. So in addition to the improv element at the theater, we are largely a sketch comedy theater as well mm-hmm. um, especially when you once you get to main company the current main company show which is on Fridays and Saturday nights and that's predominantly sketch and then okay. we do a late 
uh, improv show. But in terms of the training for sketch as well, you know, coming up with these characters, we're writing and performing, obviously, all of our own material, but we're costuming these characters as well from wigs down to, you know, I like to costume down to my socks and underwear just because that's just how, how deep I get into these characters. And that's sort of, uh, you know, one thing that I can mention in terms of bringing myself and that and, and the skill set that I learned and attained at the Groundlings to Kevin. When we were in our costume fitting, I, Neil is definitely, he's, he's a boxers guy, not a briefs guy. And I made sure that they had a full run of boxers for me because there are shots where Neil is, you know, I think of one in the first season where he's hanging up a poster for the Anniversarager and you can see Neil's boxer shorts. And it's those little details like that, that I'm really proud of. And it's just comes from the training that we, that I get at the Groundlings. Because of the the sketch aspect, do you find that you like writing more than performing or is it like 50-50 or do you like performing more? It has, has that changed at all for you? I love it holistically. I mean, there's nothing that I, I have a, I have a notes folder in my phone for just sort of sketch ideas, screenplay ideas, pilot ideas, whatever. There's nothing I enjoy more from a creative standpoint than going through my notes and seeing half of an idea, a sliver of an idea guy gets caught doing something he shouldn't and gets dressed for too long. Right. That's, that's a sketch that I, that's just that sliver of an idea that was a hit sketch um, in my time in Sunday company. I performed it in the main company and I wrote a screenplay about it. And so it's like taking that sliver of an idea in my notes to a fully realized costumed character sketch. Now a screenplay that I've written is like, there's nothing better than that. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, I really, I love all of it, but I will say making people laugh and and getting that response and feeling that joy that I'm able to bring people is like why I do it. That's my favorite. So now that we've set the table a bit and, and, and had a nice look into the background, let's get to Kevin can fuck himself. Let's get to the audition process. People love hearing about the behind the scenes. We personally love it. Like walk us through it to the extent you can and can remember what was like auditioning for Neil. Did you have an idea of what you were actually auditioning for with this very unique kind of show? Yeah. Uh, So yeah, for starters, that pilot season a few years ago, when I got the script, it was by far the coolest script that I read that season. Yeah, it was just it was just so much fun because the way that the script is is written, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the multicam scenes are italicized and the single cam scenes are just standard font. And so kind of going through those mental switches of like, ooh, this is what, you know, this would look like. And when Allison walks from the multicam, you know, into the kitchen. So it was just a lot of fun playing along mentally with that. But when I got the sides for the role of Neil, it was presented to me by my team as like, it's multicam only. So treat it like it's a multicam show. There is the single cam element, but you know, almost like you don't really have to worry about that for this particular character. So I, I go in with, with that kind of mindset. I, I actually did sort of costume for my audition and what I thought Neil, this guy would wear. I remember uh, very specifically, I had a Notre Dame uh, t-shirt, like vintage, really beat up Notre Dame t-shirt, a red flannel shirt. And then I found at the Groundlings, we have an attic um, full of costumes and props. There was a, there just so happened to be a Red Sox baseball cap there. Um <laughs> So I put that on and my hair was down to my shoulders at the time. As you guys know, from season one, I had this long hair, which is um, glorious, glorious, glorious mane. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much. And uh, when I put on the baseball cap, it sort of did this funny thing to my hair where it sort of poofed it out on the sides and the back. And I felt like the human, ver- like a real version of like Bozo the Clown. And I was Sideshow like, oh, Bob. Yes, exactly. Like Sideshow Bob. <laughs> so I was like, this is kind of perfect. I do remember being a little intimidated by the accent because I, I fancy myself as someone who can do dialects and accents pretty well. But Boston, I had just not really like spent any time in Boston ever. And it's just one of those one of those things where I feel like you're either spot on or it sounds like you're doing like a, a hybrid Scottish English accent or something. So it was right. like very intimidating. And also I go in and my manager tells me, she goes, okay, so so a, a lovely, lovely woman who's now a dear friend named Felicia Fasano was casting the show. And my manager tells me, and I would tell this to Felicia's face, but my manager tells me like, okay, she's no- notoriously tough. So don't get thrown if she is sort of short with you or abrasive or whatever. And this is my first time going in to see Felicia, this casting director. And so I'm, I'm bracing myself with that sort of mentality of like, okay, don't, don't get thrown, you know, just, just do your thing, acquit yourself and put your stamp on this thing. So I do. And she's sort of quiet. And I'm like, um, I finished the first, you know, the first scene and she was just staring at me. And she was like, I'd cast you right now if it were just up to me. And I I was still, I was kind of in shock. And also like, is she fucking with me? Like, what is <laughs> Right. I'd be like, what is this? <laughs> like, what? I don't have these sides. What are we doing here? <laughs> exactly. Like, what is going on? And then she had me do it again. She was like, I don't have any notes. I thought that was perfect. I just want to do it again just because you're here and it was great. And why not? In the audition, there's a line for the scene that we auditioned with, if you guys recall from season one, where we were at Tricky Ricky's Fun House. Neil has a line where he goes, poppers and sticks, weenies and wings, taters and rings, coming right up. So it's sort of this list, that this rhyming list. I, at the very end, I kind of got hung up on it and I, I like dropped the line and she did kind of like snap at me a little bit of like, I just wanted you to... Now we have to do it all over again. I just wanted to do it once because it was great. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I just ruined my chances. Um, So that happened. And I am texting my manager, walking back to the car. This was still, we were doing in-person auditions. And I remember texting my manager and being like, I think that went well. Like, because it was like, again, I was still unsure if, if I was just being sort of messed with. And my manager called me and she was like, uh, yeah, I'll say it went well. She emailed you and wants you to come back and test. Before I got back to my car, that had happened. And so then I was like, oh, shit, this is real. Okay, all right. Then I went back in to test for Valerie Armstrong, Craig DiGregorio, and the late Lynn Shelton, who was originally, she was tabbed to direct the pilot. And we sadly lost lost her. Um, rest in peace, Lynn Shelton. Think about her all the time. So anyway, I went in for them. They loved it. They responded really well. And uh, then with that, one final network test. So I had to go in and it was basically the same thing, except the other actors were there. And I think everyone else that ended up getting the show would kind of agree. We did a scene which ended up being the very first scene of the series um, with Annie, Mary Hollis, Eric and myself, you know, because there was a pool of other actors there and they would sort of mix and match. Right. So you'd be kind of sitting there in the waiting room with all these other potential Kevins and Neils and, and Patties. And Annie was the she had already signed on to be Allison. So we knew that obviously she was the lead. So they're just doing this sort of round robin of like, let's try this Neil with this Kevin with this Patty. 
And when that grouping got in the room, we all kind of checked in. And I, we were, I think we all, it was sort of this unspoken thing. Like, I think this is the family. I think this is the crew. And then sure enough, I got a call. I believe that was on a Wednesday. I got a call Friday night. <laughs> but of course, in true Felicia fashion, she called me with sort of a tone and was like, hey, Alex, listen, so I need to talk to you about your audition. And I was like, oh, fuck, what did I do? And she was like, it was really good. And you're going to have to move to Boston. And then everyone <laughs> and then everyone laughed. And I started crying. And uh, another little fun story. My wife had gone out to dinner with friends that Friday. I was with my daughter, who was one, had just turned one at the time. And literally, as I got that news, she had pooped her diaper and needed a bath. So I was like, okay, great. My life is changing, but also <laughs> you're changing this poop, poopy diaper. We're going to uh, keep you humble. Keep yeah, you humble. Yeah, very humble. <laughs> really be humble in that moment. Kids have a way of doing that. That's amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love that you prepare for your roles, like down to your underwear. I want to know a little bit more about how you prepared for Neil, especially as the series has gone on. And we've gotten these glimpses of Neil and Patty's backstory and upbringing. And how much did you know about Neil's backstory? Did you create one on your own? And, and how did that influence how you approached this character? There was never really a sit down from Val and Craig that was like, here's Neil's history. A lot of it was as we would get the scripts and these little tidbits of information would come through, just making sure that I was banking those. A lot of the information came through in multicam as a joke, you know, that Neil is a pyromaniac. He's obsessed with fire. He had a public defender. He spent time in jail. All these things that were sort of used as fodder. I held on to those as like, this is obviously this guy's real true history and true past. We did know based on the script that Neil had discovered his, his mother dead, but we didn't really know how. We didn't really know the circumstances. So Mary Hollis, who played Patty, my sister, on the show, we kind of sat down and we formulated a little bit of a backstory about the O'Connor's upbringing and what that was like and the circumstances of Neil finding his mother. Basically, we had determined that his mom was an alcoholic and had passed out drunk outside and had fro frozen to death. And I had found her basically outside of our house was sort of our personal backstory for what had happened there. But you know, in terms of my preparation in season one and heading into season two, Neil is someone that I knew from the jump, even preparing for the multicam scenes. It was just a very intense guy. You know, he could go from zero to 11 or 12 like that, especially when it came to Kevin. You know, Kevin was sort of the catalyst for all things in Neil's life. It's what gave Neil's life purpose and meaning and drive for what little drive he had, you know, using all of that intensity that he had towards silly stuff in season one when we get into season two and and the subject matter gets real you know neil is we're seeing who neil truly is that same level of intensity i i was able to carry through but now we're not talking about competing in a chili cook-off or or um, there's no laugh track when now there's no he, laugh track exactly yeah. he, he strangled someone he'll tell you otherwise but he would have killed allison you know at the end of season one had he not been intervened with and that's serious you know but the the, the seriousness in terms of his level of intensity was very similar in terms of how i played it obviously i grounded him much more when we're in the single cam scenes he's not as big and dopey and you know <laughs> like the making the dumb faces and what have you but that level of intensity was still very much there 
I wanted to share with you, Mike and I um, run a Facebook group called Kevin Can Fuck Himself Fans. And one of our followers, Michael Atkinson, mentioned how much the fans are paying attention to you, Alex. And like, you should know this. Like, I was like, when I was reading this, I was like, he needs to know how much people are appreciating the little things. Like, they're talking about how deep you inhale in your nose and how you're tugging on your jacket just so. And like, they're noticing all the little things. So you're doing an amazing job selling Neil. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's so funny, even you saying that there were a few other little idiosyncrasies that I had kind of just forgotten about, but that, that those fans and, and other fans about uh, of Neil will get a kick out of. So Neil, uh, he always had his, if you watch, I always have my, my right pant leg tucked into the tongue of my sneakers, my Adidas, white and red Adidas sneakers. The right side is always tucked in and the left side is always over the tongue. The zipper, which you probably can't see, but was always, I called it a lazy zip. So it's always only like halfway zipped up. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like a lazy zip. <laughs> and the belt, uh, he puts it on, he's right-handed like I am, but he puts it on like a lefty. So I put the belt on backwards or what felt like backwards. And yeah, those are just little, little quirks and ticks that I, as I was just getting costumed, I was like, yeah, this is, uh, this is this guy. So yeah, my the costume uh, set costumers and costume designer Rebecca always we'd get a kick out of the little the little nihilisms. <laughs> uh, one of the things they they pointed out was how you always tug on the jacket. Uh, yes, that, where Neil always tugs on his on his denim jacket. That fidgeting, yeah. like yeah. you know, as parents, it's like, like that we recognize that. Fidgeting, yeah. yeah, it's like and like little kid edge, like fidgeting, you know, like like uncomfortable in your clothes. Yep, in adult exactly. clothes. <laughs> my, uh, my older brother growing up had kind of a nervous little fidget like that where he was always adjusting his shirt. And I didn't want where he would he would sort of like pull at his shirt at the chest kind of. And I didn't want something so obvious, but I did want to have something where I was adjusting constantly. And you'll notice I do a lot of like shoulder movements too, a lot of shoulder adjustments yeah, so I'm glad. Very awkward in the skin. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. Because he's always he's always so concerned with, you know, what is it, it, it's like it's like living with the warden, the person like Kevin is always always just wanting to make sure that Kevin is approving of everything that he's doing, specifically in the first season. I'm glad that people picked up on that stuff. That's actually a great segue because you're big. You are a very large man. And one thing that we've talked about in the podcast a lot, and it's not particularly me that thinks of it, but I know Caroline has mentioned in the podcast how Neil, especially at the end of season one, is intimidating once you get to that single cam. Whereas you're goofy and, and fun and, and kind of awkward in the multicam, once all of that goes away and he's attacking Allison. He's choking her. You know, he says, you know, fuck and bitch. Like it's very intimidating coming from someone that's as big as you are, which brings me to the end of season one. What did you think about that change? That, that, that was, that's a big shift in Neil's character. Did you know that was coming the entire time? How did you prepare to film that scene? Yeah, I didn't know that it was coming. Uh, well, no, I take that back. I mean, I, I found out when we got the script. There wasn't like a formal sit down of like, hey, this is going to how, how the season's going to end. I was literally my, my, my heart was beating out of my chest because I did not know what was going to happen. And I remember I had all the same thoughts that hopefully viewers did, which is like, wait, why the fuck is Neil? Why is it just Neil and Allison? Why? Wait a minute. Why are right. they in the kitchen together? What's going on? And then, you know, so I'm like, is, is she going to kill him? Is some, what, what is going to happen? And 
like I had mentioned, the way that the script is written, all of my scenes up until this point had been italicized. And when, wham, the beer bottle comes and my next line of dialogue is not italicized, I was like, oh, fuck, this is getting real. <laughs> like, really, really real. Um, so that's that's when I found out. Yeah, I mean, in terms of my preparation for the role, for that scene specifically, we have never really seen that level of violence shot under sort of the bright lights and the, you know, of, of a multicam scene. We've never really seen that that level of violence shot in a sitcom before. So I knew that that would sort of the medium in which we were seeing this scene unfold would sort of take, that would have weight and that would have power i really just focused on neil's relationship with kevin and at that point he's still protecting kevin and he would literally kill for kevin and we see it there in the first time and one thing that i found so moving in that final scene is when neil gets his hat knocked off that's the first time you see neil there is one other scene where i have my hair up in a little a bun a little morning bun i called it um, <laughs> but this is the first time you see him without his hat and his he's like i'd been in that closet for i mean we had done a number of takes the, the sweat that you see my hair being wet that's all real that's all me yeah. because it was a very physical you know i come sprawling out of that closet there's blankets wrapped around me neil also wears like five layers but you know he has a <laughs> a white tank top, a t-shirt, a hoodie, and then a heavy coat. So I'm sweating like crazy. And when Allison knocks off his hat and Neil's hair is like down in his face, even me, I was like, that guy's fucking scary. That guy, that guy is creepy because, you know, again, for the first time, like your, your, his hair has become something else. It's not sideshow Bob hair. It's like, Jack Nicholson uh, sticking his face out in the shining hair. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it was that. So that, you know, that, that stuff sort of took care of itself. And I just wanted to make sure that I brought that level of intensity and that passion. And again, because this was, this was really the first time where you saw that passion behind something serious and not stupid or silly or trivial. So I'm curious about Neil's life away from Allison and Kevin, because this was the first time we have an opportunity to see him in that single cam kind of moment. But now we've watched, Mike and I have watched several episodes into season two, and we know now that every time that Neil's away from Kevin, he is stuck in single cam world. Everything is dark and serious for Neil away from Kevin. Do you think it was like that when he was away from Kevin before the whole kitchen incident before season one's finale? Or do you think he lived in multicam world all the time, but this incident thrust him into single cam land? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I do think that prior to that incident, he did live in ignorant bliss. There was, there was a, there's an expression that I had seen an improv show, has uh, seen said at an improv show years and years ago. It was this guy who did a character. I couldn't tell you his name or what the show was, but it just stuck with me where he said, everything I'm doing now, I'm going to do forever. And I'm never going to ever want anything different. He knew what he didn't know. And he was totally cool with that. He was fine living in Worcester, doing the same shit, seeing the same people, kind of just carrying on. But for the first time, that incident in particular, completely, he, he lost he bled at the hands of someone that he never thought in a million years could even make him bleed. So for the very first time, his worldview has been flipped. 
Okay, he's, 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 it's actually causing him to look inward for the very first time. And what we're seeing a lot in season two is he's looking inward, but he's also examining his relationship with Kevin and really starting to question things for the first time. And so it's, it's exceptionally heavy for Neil because the world that he knew is completely changing. And how does he cope with that? You know what I mean? He tries a lot of different methods we see without giving away too much but alcohol that was always a constant in his life but really leaning into that and drugs and sex and you know uh things that we never we didn't see before but he's really sort of leaning into those as an escape you know neil is is trying to in a lot of ways trying to escape this this new reality that he doesn't like and doesn't know how to cope with we're just about out of time, so we're going to have to have you back because I, we have so many more questions to talk to you about, Neil, and especially <laughs> yeah, his journey. It's not optional. We'll get <laughs> Felicia to tell you that yeah. news. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, would, I want one more serious question for you to to take a, a crack at. The word victim was used a lot in the first three episodes. I, I'm curious now watching and watching Neil and how he's kind of spiraling in the single cam world. Do you think Neil is a victim of Kevin and his abusive relationship in the same way Allison is? Gosh, I mean, in terms of his relationship with Kevin, I think he's starting to realize that he, he too has been abused. You know, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily aware of the full scope of what abuses that Allison has been through at the hands of Kevin. But um, I, I do think that Neil for the first time is in examining his relationship, examining and realizing the fact that he and Kevin have an abusive relationship and that Kevin does take advantage of him and Kevin does use him and Kevin does treat him poorly. So I don't want to let Neil off the hook and call him an outright victim because he's just done something so extremely egregious um, to Allison. Right. But I do think... It's tricky, though. It's tricky. I mean, it they, tricky. they're is. asking good questions of everyone in their relationships in the season. You know, what role do you play in your situation? Everyone's being asked that and having to look at that themselves. And it's yeah. very, like, hurt people hurt people. And you feel like yes. you can see that happening over and over. It's like a domino effect across the board. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that Neil... I guess to answer your question, I think, yeah, as it, as it pertains to Kevin and his relationship, he does for the first time kind of start to see himself as a victim to Kevin's antics and to Kevin's abuses. Well, we're so excited to keep watching the journey unfold. And yeah, please, if we could have you back, uh, that would be great just to wrap up your story and wrap up Neil's story uh, for the Thank show. Uh, but for, for now, I just want to thank you uh, for your time and, and going a little bit over with us today. Uh, where can people find you on social media if they want to follow you and keep up with you? Where can they find you in the Groundlings if they wanted to come check you out in L.A.? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but uh, I'm on Instagram and it's just my name, at Alex Bonifer. I do have a Twitter and I usually just retweet stuff that the Kevin uh, can fuck himself Instagram <laughs> retweets. So it's not super exciting. But yeah, if you want to see what's going on in my life, I do keep a, a somewhat regular Instagram at Alex Bonifer. And then you can also follow uh, The Groundlings, which is just at The Groundlings for news and, and shows that I'm in and, and all the goings on there. Listeners, definitely go check that out. I wish we were out in California so we could go check you out. But if we are, we definitely will. <laughs> Please, let me know. Let me know. I'll get you guys all set up. That would be amazing. Alex, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys Thank for having you. me. Thank you. 
just want to give another big thank you to Alex for his time. Like I said earlier, we went over the a lot of time that we were granted, and he was very cool to talk with us. And to AMC PR for continuing to coordinate these interviews. We have another great one coming up with Eric Peterson that you guys aren't going to get to hear until the end of the season, but trust us, I think it's really well worth uh, sticking around for that interview too. We're just enjoying being able to kind of be a window into the show and, and give another take. If you guys want to continue the conversation, where can people uh, find the Facebook group? Come join us over at Kevin Can F Himself Fans on Facebook. We have so many new members joining every single day and the conversations just go in and go in and go in. I love it because people are sharing their own experiences and relationships, but also, of course, delving into these characters and how complicated and layered these relationships really are. So it's exciting. I'm, I am very much looking forward to figuring out the back half of this season with our listeners. Right. You guys are getting this just as some people have seen episode four. Others are waiting to see episode four. But episode four, really, the end of episode four represents the halfway point of this final season. So, yeah, it's a, quite a ride. <laughs> Buckle up. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, go back, listen to our other episodes. We already interviewed and published our interview with Valerie Armstrong, uh, which was a great interview. And we have our first uh, three episodes published for season two already. So go listen to all that. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Kim Podcast himself. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Kevin Kim Podcast himself at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind, while you're there, leaving us a five-star review, it helps the show get visibility on those podcast players. And it helps uh, Apple and Spotify want to promote our show and let them know that people are listening to it. So we'd really appreciate it if you could do that. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.